Turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 will continue in our preaching through the Gospel of John. And it uh, sure has been a blessing to see. If you're visiting with us today, I, I do uh, preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And so I hope that you'll uh, tune in. You can go back and on our Facebook and YouTube and uh, sermon audio and listen to previous messages if you uh, see fit to do so. Last week, Jesus has declared himself to be the bread of life. And, of course, some are having a hard time with that statement. Uh, those that are around him... John 6 begins with thousands of folks following Jesus. Think about it. It's one of, the, one of my favorite chapters in all of John 6. And starts out uh, really good. It starts out with Jesus taking a little lad's lunch of five loaves and two small fishes. And, of course, feeds the multitudes and the masses. And by the end of John 6, there's only 12 left. He goes from thousands down to 12 people. Now, we would look in our religious realm and we would say that that's more or less a failure, but uh, Jesus is trying to get a total commitment from, from these followers. Some of the saddest experiences that I've ever had in my life has been those times where I've witnessed people walk from the faith, walk away from it. It has broken my heart numerous times and I... Uh, have watched them walk out from Christ and how often I've heard something like this. I've, I've heard it said, I don't know what happened to them, but they no longer walk with the Lord. That's a sad thing. They disappoint their pastor. They disappoint their church. They disappoint their family. They disappoint, more importantly, the Lord Jesus. People that you had lots of confidence in and lots of time and invested lots of time in folks and they just walked out. Jude 12, it's only one little chapter in the book of Jude, but it has a little statement in verse number 12. It says something like this, clouds without water carried by the winds or carried of the winds, carried away. Uh, often we go through droughts in South Carolina and y'all know what it's like to have extreme heat. 95 degrees, no water. You do that for a week or two and your garden will be dried up, your grass will be dried up and walk on it, it's kind of crispy, y'all know what I'm talking about. And when off in the distance you see a, a, a cloud forming and it's dark and, and it almost smells like rain and then the wind picks up and you're like, hey, we're going to get some rain, my garden needs it, my, 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 my yard needs it, it's dying, only for the clouds to separate and go around you and... Not one drop of water ever to be dumped out on your property. There's some disappointment there. Pastors and those in leadership, they understand that disappointment. They understand what it's like to see someone walk away from the faith or walk away from the church. And I believe pastors and those in leadership positions in our church do all they can to continue the success and growth in our ministry. But in John 6, where we're at, at the very end of our verses, of what this chapter is, before we complete it, is some of the saddest verses you'll ever read. Jesus seems to be doing all that He can do to drive away as many people 
from his ministry. Now, I mean, we are, we're always trying to, to have a successful enlargement ministry. Matter of fact, I, I don't know any pastor alive today that's actually trying to dwindle his congre- congregation down. I mean, it may be dwindling, but I'm sure he doesn't want it to. I, I wouldn't think so. But Jesus here, actually, instead of the enlargement ministry, Jesus is actually having a successful ensmallment ministry. His is going the opposite direction. And if Jesus is doing anything in these verses, He is issuing a call for commitment. Look with me in verse number 60. The Bible says this, Many therefore of His disciples, when they heard this, said, This is an hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where He was before... It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who would or should betray Him. And He said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto Me except it were given unto Him of My Father. So Jesus kind of knows, according to these verses, that many of His followers, and I want you to kind of stay with me because this message, and though it's not, it's not long in length, it's certainly a, a fast message. I, I got to get to the point. And so I want you to stay with me early on because Jesus knows that many of His followers are merely with Him for what they can get for their flesh. Jesus lays down a gauntlet or a call for every one of those followers to commit to Him and to follow Him or to follow Him and Him alone to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He then purifies the ranks of His disciples effectively weeding out those who would be genuine of the faith and those that would be not genuine. And by the way, can I say this in prefacing the message that we're living in a day when many are walking away from the things of the Lord. This shouldn't surprise any of us because it's exactly what the Bible said would happen. We're living in perilous times. We're living in times, and church stay with me, we're living in times of apostasy. Now I'm going to make some really strong statements And you'll not want to miss these strong statements because it'll give you something to talk about at lunch. You'll want to miss them. But I don't want to be misunderstood. I preach in a whole plethora of churches. I preach in churches that uh, that, uh, are like this. A a mixture, a balanced church. I love preaching in balanced churches. I love preaching in churches that are biblically balanced and and, uh, not legalistic, but love the Lord. And and, uh, just, 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 uh, that's the church I prefer to preach in, but I don't always get to choose. Uh, But then I'll preach in churches that would be more of a contemporary style church. And I love those guys. Some of them are my dear friends. And and I mean by contemporary, they've got the band and they've got the, um, uh, the, the, lights and they got it all and and, uh, and 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 of course wonderful pastors making an impact on their community and I love them and I cheer them on because we're preaching the same Jesus and they're loving the Lord now you say pastor I don't agree with that I think they all should look like you well that's why I'm independent and and, and pastor and you're not 
Bible preaching churches that, Brother Joseph, you would understand this. Now, they're getting too far and few, like camp meeting style, um, and, and getting some of those. Some of those guys have, have, have uh, left where I'm at. I'll just leave it at that. Or kicked me out, one or the other. Which is fine, but I still love them. But whatever the style church that you are in, this is for all. This is not about style. This is not about, well, I go to a, and I hate this phrase, I go to a contemporary church or I go to a traditional church or I go to a mixture church where, where they have this at this time and this at this time. Whatever the case may be, that, that's neither here or there. I want to say, I want to go to a church that preaches truth. So why are some people leaving the faith? Why are they walking away? Now, I want you to stay tuned because you say, well, pastor, I'll never walk away. Well, some of these people said that, but they walked away. So why are people walking away? Can I give you the first thing as we jump right into the message? The first reason why, why some people are walking away from the faith, the very first reason is this. Not everyone can handle the truth. Not everyone can handle the truth. Now look, verse 66, look with me in our text. The Bible says this, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Now notice John calls them disciples. These were people that were following Christ. These were people that were mesmerized by His miracles. They were were just thrilled to be following such a polarizing figure. Yet when 66 comes, when, when, when number 66 or verse 66 comes along, from that time many of His disciples went back. You know what that means? That means that many of His disciples left Him and walked away never to follow Him again. So why can't or why are people walking away from the faith? Well, not everyone can handle the truth. Jesus. Now I want you to remember Jesus, and I'm getting somewhere. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with this little boy's lunch. And the crowd's motto is miracles, yes. Miracles, yes. Doctrine, no. Doctrine, no. They say, who wants to listen to, to this? Who wants to listen to a discourse where Jesus gets up and preaches that He is the bread of life? And any man that cometh to Him, He will not cast him out. If any man comes to Him, they will never hunger, nor will they ever thirst. They didn't want to hear about that. And by the way, It's a sad thing that many pastors are accommodating this crowd today. They still don't want to hear truth. After Jesus fed them, they wanted to make Him king. Do you remember in John chapter 6 and verse number 15, they wanted to coronate Him. They were so impressed with Jesus. They were so enthralled with Him that He would break this bread and break these fishes and feed all of these people that they wanted to actually put a crown on his head. Then they hear this message from verse 26 to verse 65 and they want nothing to do with him. Do y'all see how fast people can turn on you? 
The first thing they want to do is say, this is the best thing. Hey, Brother Joseph, you've seen this. Pastor Lee, you've seen this before. I'm sure a bunch of others has worked with people and pastored people before. You've seen how you've become their favorite and their least favorite in the same week. (laughs) Oh yeah, Jesus is right there with us. What was the hard saying that they were having such a hard time with? We'll go back to verse number 60. Go with me over there. Keep your Bible open because we want to use it. Look at it. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear? How can we accept this? This is such a hard, difficult thing. How can we take what he's saying? How can we handle that? How can we accept this? What were they having such a hard time with? Why was it such a hard saying? Well, I believe this. I believe it was over doctrine. The doctrine of sonship. The Bible says, I think, four times in chapter 6, it says that He came down from heaven. They had a hard time. They didn't have a problem with Jesus being a prophet. They didn't have a problem with Jesus being a king. They didn't have problems with Jesus being a teacher. But they had a problem with Jesus being the Son of God. And when, he's, when, when we teach the doctrine of sonship, we, we have a problem there. And by the way, that's why a lot of these cults have a problem with what we're preaching today. They had a problem with the doctrine of sacrifice. Jesus taught in this chapter, if you're eating His flesh metaphorically and drinking His blood metaphorically, that you are consuming the bread and you'll never thirst and you'll never hunger. And then the third doctrine is the doctrine of sovereignty. God's sovereignty and man's free will. When truth is revealed to us, there's only two possible reactions to it. And it can be received or it can be rejected. So why do people reject truth? They reject truth for many reasons. I think one reason that people reject truth today is they reject it because it's a misunderstood Matter of fact, Nicodemus, if we were to go back to uh, John chapter 3, Nicodemus thought that Jesus was talking about gynecology instead of talking about the new birth. He said, how can a man enter into a woman the second time and be born? He didn't understand that Jesus was actually talking about the new birth. The woman by the well in John chapter 4, she's by that well in Sychar. She actually thought that Jesus was talking about plumbing instead of talking about being the water of life. That man in John chapter 5 by the pool of Bethesda, Brother Joseph, he actually thought that Jesus was talking of some type of rescue mission. But Jesus was actually talking about faith in Him and Him alone. It was misunderstood. And the sad truth of today is that all men are spiritually blind until the truth comes and visits them. Some people are mis- they understand truth. And I believe that's why some people join the church and are baptized but never are saved. They, they misunderstand it. The second thing is this. Some people are opposed to truth. They're opposed to truth. Jesus talked about His deity, His death, His lordship, and they all opposed Him at every turn. The cross, the blood, the fact that Jesus is the only way to salvation is offensive to most folks. I'm telling you, you want a good argument at Thanksgiving with your family? Start talking about Jesus being the way to heaven. I don't recommend it over the turkey and the gravy and the mashed potatoes. You might want to wait till after that. David, hit that air if you would, buddy. Help me out. I'm about to die up here. You understand that, uh, that, uh, that it, it, it brings division. The name of Jesus Christ actually divides 
then some people are blind to it. Jesus uh, says, uh, or here's what they say to Jesus, please stay with me. Some people are blind to it and they kept saying to Jesus, listen to this, show us and we will believe. What more is there to show when a man has done broke bread and fed 5,000? Where have you been? They say, show us and believe and we'll, we'll believe if you just show us. What's he been doing the whole time? Some people are just blind to it. Some people want the experience, but not the expectation. Now, I'm telling you the reason that a lot of people are walking away. They're rejecting the truth. Some people want the experience, but not the expectation. They wanted the miracle, the sensation of the loaves, but not the commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make three very strong statements and give you something to think about and talk about over lunch. And they're not coming from any hate or resentment. Matter of fact, they're coming just from truth. But I'm going to make them to you. People today, listen to this. People today want entertainment and excitement without any commitment to Jesus Christ. They want you to entertain them. Tell a few good jokes, a few little points, kiss the babies, hug everybody and send them on their way. And that's what they want. They want entertained. What can you do to entertain me at church? Here's the second statement. Our church is an exception. I believe God has His hand on our church and it's a rare breed. And I wish you, I wish you understood how rare this church really is. But I'm giving you a generalized view of the churches. This, is, this year I've preached in, so far, 40 different churches and meetings. This year, so far, and I've got 20 more to go by the end of the, by the, end of the year, December 31st. I'm in a lot of churches, literally from California to the Northeast. And I preach all over from Florida to, to Washington. And I've seen a lot of churches in my lifetime. And here's my assessment. My assessment is this. I want you to listen. The churches that are growing the fastest today are those who minimize biblical doctrine and never mention faith and repentance. Or the ugliness and the destructive power of sin and preach holiness and commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Those are the churches. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? I'm talking about those who have watered down the Word of God. You say, well, well, explain a little bit. Well, those that would come and they want their ear itched, their back rubbed, just the little tulips in the pool, just throwing out some sugar sticks and, and everybody's just, oh, this is, oh, this is, so, oh, this is so wonderful. Here's the third statement. All you need to succeed today as a church is a contemporary band, a message that challenges no one's life, a youth program that is full of fun and games but no Bible doctrine, and messages that will lull you to sleep by a touchy-feely religion that is devoid of the truth and demands no change for your life. That went over like screen doors on a submarine. 
That, listen to me, church, look at me. Please, please look at me. That's not coming from bitterness. That is truth. But can I say this? What I just said to you is the description of most churches that you would walk into today. I'm not up here exalting. I'm not trying to sell our church to you. Matter of fact, listen, if you're visiting with us today, I'm so glad that you're here, but I'm not up here to get you or to entice you to become a member of Bible Baptist Church. And God has blessed our church. God is growing our church. But can I give you the reason why He's growing our church? It's because we are preaching the Word. We believe in Bible doctrine. Hey, we I, listen, as I said earlier, I preach in all kinds of churches and they're my friends and I love them and we're on the same team. But we don't need to entertain. We need to preach the truth. Your family needs it. My family needs it. And the reason that some are walking away is they can't handle the truth. When I was writing this this week, I... I couldn't help but think of, of, of Tom Cruise. Tell me, the, you can't handle the truth. Well, not everybody can handle the truth, even Tom Cruise. Jack Nicholson or whatever. You understand that a lot of folks just don't want the truth preached to them. Let me tell you, when you go to a doctor... There's something wrong with you medically and you know there's something wrong and you're not feeling right and your body's telling you that there's something wrong. And if you were to go to a doctor and you were to say, I want a doctor that's going to make me feel better about myself. And there's something wrong with you, but that doctor comes in and he says, now listen, it's going to be all right. I don't want you to feel bad. Listen, it's going to be okay. And, and this is just going to take care of itself. And, and you're doing good. And you're only about 75 pounds overweight. And, and, and you're eating sugar all the time. And you, and you just need to, you know, exercise. I, I wouldn't worry about that. And you can eat whatever you want to eat. And you can do this. Oh, you don't need any prescriptions. You're fine. Hey, you would say, wow. Man, I'm doing, I'm physically doing Wonderful, but you're not. Instead, we'll go to a doctor and that doctor, we say, what's the definition of a good doctor? Definition of a good doctor in my book is one that will look at you and say, pal, you need to straighten up. The doctor visit that I last had, I hate going to doctors. Hate them. Not the doctor, I hate the visit. Just don't like going in there because you automatically, when you walk in, you feel sick. You know what I mean? You're just like, ah, why am I here? Ah. I'll tell you how bad it is. I don't even know my doctor's name. And Rebecca's always looking like, well, what is our doctor's name? I, but I go see him every three or four years. And, and I'll go check on, and make sure, you know, he knows I'm alive. And I, I just don't like going to the doctor. Some of you love the doctors. Some of you, uh, you know, you, you probably like me. You don't like going. But the last time I was in the doctor's office, he was checking some things, and he looked at me and said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And listen, his eyes got big. He said, you want to live a long time? And I said, yeah, I do, I guess, yeah. He said, let me tell you, you better, and he's a Christian man, but he said, you better learn how to deal with people. They will stress you out. 
He said, you know how many people I see that are pastors and work in churches? He said, I see a lot of them, and most of the time they got high blood pressure, and they're, and they're stressed out, and they're messed up, and they're anxious. And he said, I've literally had to prescribe medicine to pastors just to deal with their congregation. And I'm sure there's probably people taking medication to deal with their pastor. Oh, Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, some just cannot handle the truth. There's probably people sitting out here today and probably in the early service because I, I preach the same message. And there's probably some that when I said these strong statements about the modern church, they probably rolled their eyes and thought, oh, well, that's just not true. But can I tell you something? You're judging it by going to one or two churches. But when you see the state of our country, the apostasy that's creeping in, and by the way, the state of our pulpit, God have mercy. Nobody preaching anything. And listen, pastors out here living any old way they want to live. And then just somehow turning it back on churches. It's unbelievable the condition that we're in because most people cannot handle the truth. And if you stand for truth, you'll find nobody with you. Where'd everybody go? Oh, we're going to be with you until you stand for truth. Then you're like, man, where did my friends go? Where did, my, where did everybody go? I'll tell you, truth is not a popular thing. It never has been, never will be. Not everyone can handle the truth. But can I say number two, not everyone can handle the trials. Not everyone can handle the trials. Paul talks about a man by the name of Demas who was a disciple of Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, he was running well. Paul commends Demas. In Philemon 24, he calls Demas a fellow laborer. But by 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse 10, Demas is in, Paul's in prison and he's about to die for the faith. But he writes this, Demas hath, for, Demas hath forsaken me loving this present world. Somewhere along the lines, church, Demas got his eyes on the world and his eyes off of Christ. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a parables. He gives one parable, the wheat and the tares. The latter part of Matthew chapter 13. And basically, without turning there and reading that scripture, just for sake of time, the Lord shows a sower who comes and sows good seed, but then what Jesus was implying was that Satan came and robbed that good seed, rather, or sowed what they called tares among the good seed. Which looks like weed in the very beginning. But it's a poisonous look-alike. It's an imposture. It's, it's fake. And Jesus says, so He let them two grow together until the harvest time. When, when that time came of separation, when the tares were gathered and burned, and in the church there will be a real uh, rude awakening, uh, a separation between those who are real disciples and those who are fake disciples of Christ. That time of separation is coming. Then there's the parable of the soil. Jesus said that there's good seed is sown and some fall on stony ground and, and there's not much depth of soil and then the seed springs up and because there's no depth of soil, the hot sun comes and, and it quickly dries up that seed and, and kills that seed. Other seed falls among thorns and it's 
and it quickly springs up and they soon are entangled with thorns and dies. See, some can't handle truth and so they walk away, but some can't handle trials. See, a lot of people believe this. Listen to me. A lot of people believe that if I just go to church, if I just read my Bible, if I just pray, if I just get around some good people, then all of my trials will go away. But what I have found is following Christ sometimes creates new problems. Some people just can't handle it. Some people cannot handle trials. They can't handle friction. They can't handle bad things happening to them. They cannot. So instead of uh, embracing the trial and conforming to the image of God's Son, they walk away from the faith. But here's the last reason that I believe that some have walked away from the faith. It's not just because of trials, and it's not just because of they can't handle truth, but everyone, let me say this, everyone will be examined by the Lord. And here's the meat of the message. Everyone's going to be examined by the Lord. Look with me in John chapter 6, and look, we're going to pick up in verse 67. John chapter 6 and verse 67, the Bible says this, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, that Christ, the Son of the living God. So when these disciples are asked by Jesus if they too are going to leave, Peter answers the group. He kind of expresses as a spokesperson for these disciples He expresses his commitment and he states that they know Jesus is the Christ, the the Son of God, and he's the only way to eternal life. Peter had made a necessary connection between the words of Jesus and Jesus himself. And to receive Christ is to receive his word, and to receive his word is to receive him, and they're always taken together. You can't believe Jesus and not believe His Word. But there's two things that I believe that comes from an examination by the Lord, especially in in Peter's life. The first thing we see is found in verse number 69. And we believe that thou art sure, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. There's two great possessions found in this one verse. The first possession is found, we believe. Let's say that together. One, two, three, we believe. Say it better. One, two, three, we we believe is an example of faith, which is an inward conviction. Peter said, hey, we believe. I'm making the connection by faith that not only you are the Christ, but that you the claims that you have. I'm, I'm putting them together that you're not just saying you're Jesus, you are Jesus. And, and we're putting that together so it's by faith. This is a great possession because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. And then it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. So you cannot get to Jesus without going through faith. And faith is a, we believe, an inward conviction of the claims that Jesus is who He says He is. Then there's a second part to this. 
The second part is not only faith, it's experience. Because look at the rest of that verse in verse number 69. It says, and we believe and are sure. Let's say that together. One, two, three, and are sure. Say it one more time. One, two, three, and are sure. Peter says, we believe and are sure. Which is, listen, a representation of this. Please don't miss this. It's a representation of a changed life. Peter, the reason that he spoke up and said, we believe and are sure because he went back in his mind to what he used to be. Peter was an old rugged fisherman. Peter was an old gruff. And most of those disciples, matter of fact, some of them disciples were tax collectors and crooked and, and, and swindlers and all that. And, and, and these men, while Jesus walked by them and looked at them, he saw what nobody else seen. And Peter said, I remember what I used to be. I remember what I was before I encountered this Jesus And he makes one of the greatest declarations in the Bible about Jesus. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ. The Son of the living God. A changed life. A full heart. And now a desire and direction in life. And by the way, Peter knew this about his life. Peter knew how his life had been changed. And this was enough to make him state with confidence that he was not going to walk away. Because Peter said this. Verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Church, look at me. Many of you remember what you were before you met Jesus. And Peter says, Lord... Where are we going to go back to? We're going to go back to that old boat? We're going to go back to that old boat where we used to catch fish and sell them there at the dock and and, and we used to do this and do that and then there's no telling what those disciples were maybe involved in before they met Jesus. And Peter, in a genuine spirit, in a full heart, Peter looks at Jesus and says, where are we going to walk away? What are we going to? Out of all the thousands that left, Peter speaks up and says, I'm not walking away. Oh, there came a time of weakness in Peter's life later on, and he failed the Lord. He denied the Lord. He turned his back on the Lord. But he did not, listen to this, he did not walk away from the Lord. I need more amens on that. Peter denied the Lord. He did exactly what Jesus said he would do. He would, he, uh, when the cock crew, he would deny the Lord, and he did three times, denied him three times in the cock crew. And Peter knew that he had done denied the Lord. He was ashamed of the Lord. And he ran out, and the Bible says he wept bitterly. But let me tell you something. Peter might have ran out and wept bitterly, but he did not run away from the Lord. Because it wasn't long after the resurrection, Peter was set on fire for the Lord and preached at Pentecost, and nearly 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Peter said, I'm not walking away. We believe. and We are sure. Once you have felt the powerful touch of the Almighty God, and once you've walked away, 
uh, in the light of His glory and walked into the light of His glory, once you've tasted His goodness and experienced His best and you've never be more satisfied with the substitutes and the imitations, you may wonder for a time, but you, like the prodigal son, will come to yourself and come home and He will receive you with open arms just as you are. I can't see your heart this morning. You can't see my heart. But God sees us just as we are. Let me ask you this before we close. When God looks at you and your heart, what does He see? Now, I know what I see on Sunday. I see, and I love what I see on Sundays. For the most part, I see a full auditorium. I see cars just coming in and out. I see kids everywhere. I see buses coming up and shuttling people. I see people everywhere. I thank God for that. I've seen folks saved. I've seen folks baptized. I love what I see in a generalization, but I also don't like what I see sometimes. Because sometimes I see someone sitting in a seat who in their heart has walked away already. Now they're bodily sitting right here. But you're not here. I could elaborate and I'm not going to get into that. But I can say this. Just because your body is sitting here does not mean you're here. See in that story of the prodigal son, there was a prodigal that left. But there was a prodigal that stayed. Oh, we cheer for the big prodigal that stayed. Let me tell you something. He was just as gone as the other brother. Boy, he was still at home. But he wasn't there. Let me say, when you come to church, you ought to engage. The reason why a lot of people are so spiritually anemic is because they're not grounded and rooted in God's Word. Why a lot of people are walking away and they can't handle truth. They can't even handle a message like this. Folks, these are things that we should already possess and know. We ought to know that Jesus is truth. We ought to know that He's the bread of life. Hey, we ought to know there's danger in walking away. We ought to know if we're His or not. Let me say, what does God see when He looks at you? We may deceive each other, but we will never deceive God. We know that. He sees you and me just like we are. He sees us in ways that we cannot even see ourselves. Nothing is hidden from His all-seeing gaze. So we come back to the question this morning, and is this. Will you walk away? I'll say this about our message this morning. I'll say this about our church this morning. And I thank God for returning visitors. I thank God for people that will join. I thank God for a a class membership today of about 26 people, a, a membership class. I thank God that God is building His church right before our eyes. And I know that we've proved it by just biblical preaching. And discipleship and teaching and God and right before our eyes has has sent to us some wonderful people and saved some wonderful people and we've got to see it. But you understand, there are some that may be sitting in here this morning that you have a form of godliness but you're denying the power thereof. It's just not real to you. I preached last night in Burlington, North Carolina. 
in a different church last time I was there. Y'all remember the story about the guy that jumped up and stood up and, and uh, while I was preaching in Mark chapter 2, I was preaching and a guy stood up over here on my right and he said, big old guy, huge, had a uh, big old beard and he had uh, big overalls on and Crocs. I'll never forget he had Crocs. So he was a blessing. You're not rocking till you're crocking, right? He stood up and he said this. He said, um, who told you I was going to be here is what he said. And I, and, and I didn't know what to do. place was packed. It was on a Wednesday night of revival. And I looked around and the preacher right here, and the preacher's not doing nothing. Nobody's doing nothing. Nobody's getting up. Nobody said, hey, sir, you need to sit down. You know, what are you upset about? Or nobody going around to him and consoling him, saying, hey, let's step out. Nobody. Nobody's going to do that. He was huge. I wasn't going to do that. So I just kind of thought, well, maybe he'll sit back down if I start preaching uh, or keep preaching. He'll sit back down and behave. And it, he got louder. He said, how did you know that I would be here tonight? Just like that, real loud voice. And I just had to say, nobody else will say anything. I just had to say, sir, nobody told me you were going to be here. I've never seen you before. And he steps out in the center aisle. Church had a center aisle, just had two aisles, had a center aisle. And, and he steps out and he says, will you come down here and look me in my eyes? Right in the service. Look me in my eyes. And so... I'm, it's kind of a, a wooden pulpit like this, and, and uh, so uh, I, I, look, I keep waiting for the, the bishop to get up and, like, help me. Never moved. He's like, nobody ever moved. I said, well, the safety team will be in here, you know, whatever. Nobody ever came. So I had to get behind this desk. In my mind, I'm already going through the motion of a Judy chop to the throat. A little swift roundhouse kick to the leg and then run like a woman, right? <laughs> Screaming like a woman. So uh, I, I, I did. I went around and went right there in front of him and, and stood in front of this guy's eyes as welled up with tears. I thought he was angry. I thought he was going to hit me. I really did. And uh, he said, for 29 years I've been running from God. 29 years I've been empty. He just... Started bawling right there. And he said, man, he said, my sister invited me to revival tonight. And he said, here you are preaching on everything that I needed. And boy, he was just having a fit right in the middle. And I said, sir, the Holy Spirit of God knew you were going to be here tonight. I said, I didn't. I didn't even know I was going to be here tonight. The guy come down, he prayed. And, uh, and a lot of men came and surrounded him and prayed with him. Man, it was, it was, there wasn't a dry in the place. Well, then over here, old Joe, a guy in the back, he runs down here and he falls in at the altar. All this is going on at the same time. It's an unusual service. Guy runs down here and the preacher finally gets up. And he goes over there and prays with him. And Joe gets saved. And this guy over here is getting delivered and helped. And, and just it's just one of those unusual services. Well, that was, that was like four years ago. Last night, I'm preaching in Burlington at a different church. And I look up and... That man and his family's there. He said, man, I heard that you were going to be in here. And I just wanted to come. And man, I just got a blessing. And he, he reminded me and his family reminded me after the service that his chains were gone. He still believed. What used to be in an old life is no longer the same. He can say this with all of his heart. We believe and are sure that that is the Christ.
Can we say with confidence today, hey, I'm not walking away. I know trials are tough. Truth, man, I tell you, sometimes truth is hard to swallow. Doctrine, oh, I tell you, but we have to believe and we have to be sure because God knows our heart and why many people are going back is because they think it's better over there or they had it better over there. You know, it's a lie of the devil, isn't it? It ain't better over there. That was just fun for a season. Remember all the emptiness and the pain and the sorrow? Remember all that over there? Hey, Jesus fills that emptiness here. He's not promised you that it's going to be easy, but I'm telling you one thing. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And when that crowd leaves you, He'll be with you all the way.